Angela. And with me are, please introduce yourselves. This is Tully. This is Sunrise Tipikani. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Adam Perone. Thank you for joining us today, Adam. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Kaiwan Mohawk. Grew up in Phoenix. Uh, moved out to LA to, to go to film school. Um, and I kind of one of the first jobs I had working in film was um, an internship with Sundance's um, Indigenous program. I kind of, uh, throughout the years, you know, I, I started as an intern, worked a number of different positions. Um, and yeah, I'm currently the director of the Indigenous program. Uh, but also kind of within the mix of their like I've also I'm also one of the programmers for the short films uh, with that team uh, for the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, yeah, it was also uh, formerly the uh, the film creator for the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Um, and I also yeah, I, I co-founded a, a collective, a film collective with uh, some other indigenous filmmakers where we work to support artists that are working in in the the more experimental kind of avant-garde space. Uh, where it's it's international. It's not just with the U.S. with that one. So that's uh, that's a little bit about me um, in terms of what I do. But yeah, with the the program in and of itself, with the Indigenous program at Sundance, it, it was started back in the founding of the institute with Robert Redford. He had always kind of wanted to create a a space for Indigenous artists working in film. Um, you know, trying to create a a platform for them to tell their stories and and to get some support. So the the program itself has been around, we like to say for, you know, we've been supporting four generations of indigenous filmmakers. We're currently working on identifying the the fifth and supporting them as well, while while still, you know, maintaining and sustaining our support of the the previous generations and those artists. And uh yeah, we do that through a number of different things. We have our um our lab that takes place uh, every May it's it's gone through a number of different iterations over the years it was uh short films a few years ago it, was, it focused on short film production and now it's it's focused a bit more on feature film writing and episodic tv writing there's the Meritamita fellowship which is also it's it's named in honor of Meritamita, the, the maori filmmaker who is also a, a dear friend of our our program it's specifically designed to give an indigenous um artist uh, a, a woman director working on their first feature film uh, you know, some targeted support. This year, we also started what we're calling our um, our nonfiction intensive, which has been, uh, with this iteration, it's been Indigenous artists working in um, like short documentaries. It'll probably expand a little bit to that in, in the beyond that in the coming years. And then there's also our, our Full Circle Fellowship, which is, um, it's, it's funded by the Kellogg Foundation, and it specifically looks at younger Indigenous artists from New Mexico, Michigan, Mississippi, and uh, it's more of kind of like helping them sort of explore different pathways into film. So it's not necessarily just directing with that one. It's like some people go into production design, some people go into cinematography and that sort of thing. So, so and then, yeah, then there's also the um, what we call our native forum, which is the the platform that we have at the uh, the Sundance Film Festival, where we, you know, um, sort of highlight and, and bring together a lot of the indigenous filmmakers that are there and have work in the, uh, the festival as well, too. So that's a little bit about what I do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I make my, some of my own films as well too, but yeah, so that's kind of the many hats that I wear. So that's a lot. That's a, so you oversee all of those different programs. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been in the position about what, five or six months now. Yeah. Officially. Like I was the interim, uh, for like, I, I was officially the director since I, I became that in February. And then I was acting as the interim director before that. And then I was the associate director um before that well bird running water a previous um director um when, when he had stepped away and uh yeah before that i was the manager and you know so in the intern before that as well too so you're kind of feeling some really big shoes with bird running water having been there for so many years and you know bird you know was the kind of guy who was an advocate for a lot for a lot of our friends and a lot of us and so i want to get what you're doing with Sundance, but even talking about like the things that we should be looking forward to as Indigenous filmmakers and as Indigenous film watchers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely like a different era. And I think, you know, in part, it's also shout out to Bird, you know, with all of the his advocacy that you kind of mentioned, you know, I mean, like a, there's a lot of big names that have come through the, the program in terms of the native film world. You know, Taika is one of them. Sterling uh, Harjo is another one. 
Black Horse Lowe, Sydney Freeland, um, Erica Tremblay, Shindine Tome now is another one, Sky Hapinka, like a lot of folks that are working and kind of popping off now, uh, you know, a lot of that was directly from Bird's support and a lot of his identification and stuff. And, you know, and then, I mean, I was also with him for, I forget, I'd say it was a good chunk of kind of his time at Sundance. So it's like, I really got to see how he worked, you know, the, the, how, it, how it looks like to support an artist and what, what comes with that and, and things like that. So I think like, you know, and it, it definitely everything that's going on now where, where it's both with film and TV, like a lot of the indigenous stuff that's, that's getting out there, you know, they're all alumni from the program that, that came out from Bird's time here and stuff too. So I think in, in one, in some ways, we're in a totally new era now because a lot of the stuff that bird had pushed for and advocated is like a reality now. Like that's like the new baseline where, you know, we have these TV shows, like, cause I'm trying to think, what is it? There's Rutherford Falls, Reservation Dogs, Echoes coming out. Oh yeah. Dark Winds is another one as well too. That also has a lot of alumni of our program. You know, it doesn't seem like that there seems to be any stopping or slowing down of stuff. I think right now there seems it's, it's really kind of like a, a mini kind of golden age of uh, maybe not golden age is the right term, but like something like that for indigenous TV in the U S because I mean, Canada's always had stuff like that going on, but in the U S it's, 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 it's a much different system in terms of how that stuff gets made and how that stuff gets in front of people. So, so yeah, I think like one thing that I'm, I'm particularly interested in, you know, is just not only sort of sustaining a lot of that in, in terms of like, you know, the, the quality and the caliber of artists that, we're able to to uplift and support but i think also to some extent you know expanded a little bit more as well too like we're doing a little bit more work with nonfiction artists you know I, you know just with some stuff with my own taste I, I i also i tend to like lean a little bit towards like world cinema as well too but also like some experimental stuff so trying to get people like that are, are working in that space a little bit more into the door as well too so it's, you know, and I think that's also the thing too, that, you know, I always learned from Bird is that none of this stuff is like a competition at all. It's really just about like how many people can sort of get, get together and kind of rise to the top at the same time. So it's, it's very much that, but also I think expanding the, the platform and sort of the stage as well too. So. Well, and one of the questions that we've asked ourselves on this podcast a lot is how do you define indigenous? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a good question because it's always, there's always a thing where it's like, well, everybody's indigenous to somewhere. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it, it's it's a number of different things. I think it's generally the way that I look at it is one, it's if they, they're kind of a currently colonized people for the most part. So, you know, we, we do a lot of work also with like the Sami in Scandinavia. Um, I think a lot of that also applies to everybody in Central and South America, Oceania, you know, there's, there's even, you know, different pockets of Asia where that's also um, also applicable as well, too. So. So, yeah, I mean, that's the way that I kind of look at it. I, I think it's it, it's I, I look at it as as much of kind of like a condition of, you know, the communities where these people come from, as it is sort of like, a, I guess you could say, you know, as much of sort of a cultural lens that it can be. So you're doing a lot of work, both in terms of like overseeing these programs but then you also have like a background in programming and I'm curious how you see or how you've gone about sort of outreach in both of those areas. Are they similar? Are they different? Yeah, it's a little bit different because I think it's like, I think with a lot of our programs, it's, it's, I mean, they're similar to some extent because like so much of it is sort of submission and application based stuff. So like you do find out about new stuff that way. And also to just kind of like going out, watching a bunch of stuff and starting to identify people or like tracking things that way. It's a little bit the same. Like I think with programming, it's a little bit different because I think the I think with a lot of these programs within sort of the indigenous program, it's more kind of about the potential and about kind of like what what you're seeing in the project, what you're seeing in a project that doesn't necessarily exist yet, you know, in terms of like sort of the final product where I think with on the programming side, it's more about like what's what's there and also connecting it to the artists or like you know or even like connecting with the artists and seeing what else they may have as well too so so yeah it's it's they're kind of it's a similar process but it's like one i would argue is a bit more at the beginning of that that the production and sort of the completion process where the other one is like you're already looking at the finished and final thing so and then it um in the past i know that um sundance the has supported these artists all the way through like in various stages right there's all the kind of labs that kind of like deal with a different stage and then ultimately it seems like they become 
be um, possibly part of a following festival. Can you, is, is that something that still is um, yeah, it's, it's, a goal? it's still around. Yeah. I mean, like we still do that and stuff. And, you know, obviously it's like our hope that a lot of these projects, you know, submit or, you know, end up in the festival. It's not necessarily like the be all end all, which is also, I think, I think sometimes people think like, oh, well, like this project you supported didn't play Sundance. And it's like, well, okay, cool. Like, that's not like what the, it's not like, it's not a, you know, we're not operating like a conveyor belt, so to speak, in terms of like what, how things get there. It's like, I mean, I think our biggest concern is just more kind of like, as long as people are making work that's on their own terms and kind of conditions and that it's getting in front of people that they want, they want the film to play, that's, that's a success. And so again, too, it's like, there's a number of other festivals out there. Um, and even too, you know, like with, it's also just, it, it is also kind of to a certain extent, like to be blunt about it too, it is a question of just like odds, so to speak. I mean, with Sundance in terms of the, the volume of submissions that we get, I forget what it is for features, but I know like with shorts every year, it's been about like the past couple of years, it's, we, we've broken 10,000 submissions and like within sort of a team of eight, all of us are doing first watches. So like last year I was watching something around like 1300 to 1500 shorts. And then, you know, we pull that down to, you know, about 60. So it's like, it's less than a percent, but I mean, it's like, you know, obviously like we all, are, we all kind of have our own tastes and things that we like to advocate for. So, you know, that's part of the, you know, part of the stuff that you see, it's like there because somebody also fought for it, but also too, just because something doesn't play, doesn't mean that like, we don't like it or that, you know, it, it's just, again, it's just a question of like space in terms of the programs that we have, how they fit within sort of like, to a certain extent, I think like shorts also kind of have to, they're also at the mercy of like the other films that are there in terms of like how they can fit in terms of like how you build out a program versus like with feature films, they don't so much have that, you know? So it's like, it, it, they're more just kind of on their own, but, but yeah, that's, I mean, that again, too, it's like, it is sort of just a, a, I mean, everybody has as good a, a chance as everybody else in that respect. So, yeah, but yeah, we always kind of joke around that, like, we did the numbers on it and you know it's like less than a percent of the submissions that we get end up in the in the festival and stuff so it's like it's always kind of the joke of like oh well it's like easier to get into harvard than it is to the festival <laughs> but but again though too that's not meant to be like a discouraging thing it's just that it's um it's it, it's just like i think that's part of the thing too i think like with certain filmmakers like if they know the festival world or if they have you know some some sort of knowledge of it like there's also certain ways that you can be like strategic about your film and like where it's going and you know what you feel like might be the right the right fit so that like your you know your chances are a little bit better because it's not this um the way i describe like sort of programming especially with shorts it's kind of like solving a rubik's cube but also like making a mixtape at the same time like you're trying to find something that delivers a whole experience within like 90 minutes and it's also a question of like tone you know the length of the film uh what the film is is doing that sort of thing so it's like and again too it's just like it, it's one of those things where every, again everybody has the same chance as everybody else from the get-go especially if like if you're working with a festival that you know has solid programmers and they know what they're doing so yeah yeah that's always a challenge it feels like that's like an art form that people have a tendency to overlook just the aspects of programming the arrangement of the content and that at the end of the day, some people will submit and it seems like they're more concerned about whether or not the rejection is a reflection of them, right? Rather than like the the context of an experience for an audience. Um, yeah. Um, and I think it's also you, too, it's, it's like you got to just make a film that you're pleased with, I think, first and foremost, and just kind of make something that's from your own voice. Because um, that's always the stuff that like really rises to the top, in, in my opinion, is because you know, you see something that you haven't necessarily seen before and it's something that like that you connect with or just something like that, where as opposed to somebody who's like, cool, I'm going to try to make like my own version of a Tarantino film or like David Fincher, where it's like, OK, cool. Like, but you're not going to make a better version of those people's films than what they can already do. So, like, why would you do that? It's, you know, again, it's like I, I get that you like these films, but it's also like you don't need to tell me that just like make a film that is you know, stand, stands on its own. And, and, and even, I think also to figure out your own voice, like the, the, the grand jury prize winner for a short this year was one of the indigenous shorts. It was this um, called the headhunter's daughter. It was a, a film from the Philippines 
um, from a filmmaker from over there. And again, too, sort of far and away, like one one of the the more like stronger things I'd seen in, in a while. And um, and same thing too with Shandine Tome, who's who's an alumni of our program. She's a Diné filmmaker. She co-directed a film called Long Line of Ladies um, that also played at the festival. It ended up playing at South by Southwest as well too. And it won the grand jury prize there for best short. So again, it's just, I, I think that's the thing is just like really telling people just to like lean into what your own voice is, try to figure it out in film. It's like, okay to experiment and to try to figure out shorts are always a great, great start for that too. So. Yeah. Both of those films are it's so amazing. Like they always resonate in my mind. Like, you know, weeks after i've watched them they just sort of like there's like imagery or sounds textures and like the perspective they all just say to linger and it, it, it seems like you know, for me when i'm thinking about like programming stuff it's like that's the stuff that kind of rises you know it's like you'll always have people who are trying to like do something individual but then it's like things that linger sometimes linger longer in places that i also didn't think about you know it's like i maybe didn't connect at first with something um i'm curious if that at all plays like in terms of the timeline i'm i'm talking about like you know i've got enough time to think about it does that how does that timeline for you in the selection i guess in preparation for programming like for the festival is there time to be able to think about content you know and then like repeat i don't know repeat view or re uh yeah i don't know about that so much i mean like yeah. i think it's i i don't know i mean i think if it's just a good film and we're still thinking about it i think that that would be kind of what we how we look at it but uh, yeah i don't think i don't know if we necessarily consider how how something is folding up on like a second or third watch or something like that i mean i think a lot of a lot of the times it, it does but i don't think it's a it's not a conscious consideration that we're we're kind of putting in so yeah, amazing! Such so, so beautiful, like the, and the and the talent in those films. It's so impressive. Not just like the, the voice of the makers, but like those involved, like in front of the camera, like the subjects on Long Live Ladies. It's amazing how like giving yeah. they are to the camera, like the whole family. You know, like the cinematography is really incredible. Like the mm -hmm. the cutting is really amazing. Yeah, and Hunter, I think, like you know, I think it's also yeah, like the, the idea with the short to. As opposed to a feature, I mean, even with a feature, I, I I encourage the same thing too. But I don't think you necessarily have to tell like a whole three act kind of thing. Like, I, not not everything needs like a resolution or like you don't need to explain everything. It's like I think with a short, that's kind of the thing. Is like you just focus on one thing and figure out however you want to like tell it or approach it, and like that's kind of the film, and like that's cool. And like you know, if it's a, it's a comedy if it's a comedy great like there's a punchline or something like that that's that's great but i don't think everything needs to be sort of this beginning middle end sort of thing i think stuff can kind of linger like you were saying or just sort of presents you with different options and the same thing with films too i i think that's also a thing that i wish and i think again too this is my own I, this is my own preference i'm not saying this as like a something prescriptive or whatever i i, I think that there's a lot of room and i think people are starting to do it a little bit more but within indigenous film and indigenous cinema where people are like leaning a little bit more into modes of like traditional storytelling like and not not like a direct adaptation but just more about like the logic or like certain traditions of things because i don't think that everything needs to necessarily be a three-act structure in terms of how it's delivered i mean it, it can like i can understand if you're working at like a higher level where there are the demands of like the industry where it's like, it isn't like the entertainment industry is an industry. Like it's a business. So you have a certain thing you have to do and in order for it to cross certain bars and like, that's fine. There's like a whole art to that and stuff. But I think, you know, if, if people are working on a bit more of the, the independent side or trying to figure out stuff for themselves, I think it's, there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, look within your own culture or your family or however, even how you interpret your own indigeneity with how, and you know, how you approach it with telling a story, because I don't think that, and I don't know, this is, again, maybe one of my other concepts, I don't know if this sounds too radical or anything like that, but it's like, if you look at us really as like, you know, a colonized people, and we have, we come from these communities, these like nations, really, what, like, what would, 
it's the idea that like you know what you'd be making is like i don't know a comanche cinema piece of cinema or like a kiowa piece of cinema or something like that so like why not like lean into that a little bit more because i think people get really caught up in sort of the again the whole kind of three acts industry facing type of thing which again too i'm not knocking people that do want to work in the industry or do you want to go that way i think it's totally cool but i think that there's also a whole other there's this a lot of just sort of untapped on I don't want to say unexplored because that's not the the case, but like just underutilized like traditions and things that we already have that are there that I think people could just lean into a little bit more and and I don't know build something that's new as well too or not new but some, like reinterpreting something so that it does become new and it sort of carries something on and again too I think that whether it's shorts or a feature or something like that if you're working at a more independent level there's a lot more uh, room for stuff like that and I think. Again, too, that's sort of also the place where a lot of people can, it, 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 depending if that's what you want to do, you can really sort of like craft something or really sort of make something from a certain voice and a certain perspective that really stands out. And it's like, it'll eventually stand out too compared to everything else. Yeah. It, it, I'm sorry. I told you about this talk, but I was going to say one thing and then I can ask this question, but uh, I love how you're con kind of contextualizing all, contextualizing all this in terms of indigeneity. This is sort of like coming back to a definition to some degree, particularly in relation to media and hear the voice of the maker in both probably the process of the labs, as well as the festival, you're looking at a voice that, and that voice includes tradition, right? Like that seems to be part of what's indigenous. And I, I agree with you. I like, I've been on page one about that, like getting like a cinematic language that's like distinctive to each tribe is like what i want to see you know because it's like that will be a true sign of like sovereignty in the arts we've got a language that like our tribal members are able to easily identify and uh, perhaps it takes some translation with other tribal members or like non-tribal members uh, regardless of whether there's a tribal affiliation or not um, yeah i think it's also like you know even with that too and again it's like not everybody wants to do that and it's not it's like we need people making stuff across the board it's like whether it's a giant blockbuster or somebody making you know something for like a thousand dollars in their backyard or whatever it's like you need everybody like i mean the this the stage is as big as we can make it you know and i think that but again though too it's like i think even with that idea of some type of a cinematic language or just tradition it's like i'm not saying it needs to be like a traditional story or something like that you could totally have like like what would a stoner comedy look like if like you know i don't know like lakota were to there was some sort of like lakota tradition in it or something you know what i mean like and it's like well, like why not you know like you can do that but it's it's again it's, it's sort of the idea that like which is yeah again it's like the idea that like if you were to go to like see like a kiarostami film or something from iran and you're like great like well this this film is interesting but like why is it not playing to american audiences like why would you put that on something like that you know and so like again too you have i think you have artists like like sky pink is one who's right? he's a filmmaker who his his work he makes very like sort of personal films that are very experimental but i think that they're a really good sort of like place to be inspired in terms of like you can see these films and you can like don't copy them because again you're not going to make a better film <laughs> of like what he's doing now and he's doing, but, you know, do something like that where it's like, you can make something that like is again, just within your own family or whatever. And you can do something that hasn't been made before. And I don't know, to me, that's exciting versus, versus kind of the, you know, trying to figure out how to play ball in a field that wasn't built for us. But again, to totally, like we totally need more people on the bench playing, playing ball and stuff like that but it, we can also have our own field and i think that like there needs to be some people that do that as well too so yeah there's definitely a room or we can even have our own sport you know <laughs> have the whole thing make it all our own yeah i think that's really awesome the, the the concept of like trying to find not not just like an indigenous film way of telling story but even within the individual uh tribes or nations who could have their own um aesthetic i guess you would call it and is there anyone right now that you're seeing that has kind of like stepped into this kind of thing where they're kind of making it their own within their own uh, nation? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, like I mentioned Sky's work before. I mean, like a lot of some of the folks I've worked with from Cousin and stuff like that, which again, too, there's like also a crossover with some people that have been through Sundance, like 
there's the Khalil brothers who are um, from the Sault Ste. Marie tribe up in Michigan, but they're the work. They have a, also another collective that they've run called the the new red order. Um, and they, they do a lot of sort of experimental like documentaries, but a lot of their stuff is also informed by, you know, a lot of, uh, Ojibwe traditions and stuff like that. Like their first film in to say actually, I would argue has like a seven act structure because, or yeah, cause it's sort of based around the seven fires prophecy. It's like, it's a really interesting film, um, where you have somebody that's like our current Merita Mitzabello, um, Box Maxi, who is from one of the, um, and they'd kill me if. I probably said this, but it's like, I forget the name of their tribe. It's like, there's, there's a lot of different tribes that are around San Diego, but they're from one of those tribes, the Mesa Grande uh, tribe down there. But a lot of their stuff too, is also just sort of, it's from a very specific, not even just like regional and cultural focus, but I think even generational, like so much of this, it's like you're, when you watch their films, it's definitely somebody that's already grown up with social media. Like it's not something that they've had to like learn. So it's really interesting to see like, a younger indigenous person making work that's informed by how they've always sort of like just work like they've always been around cameras and they've always been around just like watching you know social media or like quick video clips and things like that so or even you know again too i think somebody like you know shindine tome where a lot of a lot of her work um is informed by her um being like a Diné woman and like young woman and like traversing sort of the world with with that that perspective so Again, too, it, it's like you can find that in anybody, I think, to a certain extent. But I think it's also just, yeah. It, it, and, and again, too, even like, I mean, I would argue even like with Sterling Harjo, like that, that, all of like reservation dogs, it's like if you if you know Oklahoma or if you go to like eastern Oklahoma, it's like that's like there's no other place where that kind of storytelling could really exist. So, so again, it's like I think everybody's doing it in their own way. But I think some people are like definitely yeah i don't know but again too it's like not really a competition it's just like i think if you look deep enough with certain people like certain people are, are doing that or it's stuff where it's it's making things that look like they may be at the margins but it's like when you look at it a lot closer you're also questioning like well, why is this considered at the margins when it's you know it's serving the audience that it's meant meant for like the community it's meant for and stuff like that so yeah what is like your best advice to a to a filmmaker who wants to submit to Sundance and an indigenous filmmaker who wants to submit? Yeah, I mean, just submit it. Like, I mean, I think you can also, you know, check out our our programs page on the website, Sundance.org. So there's information for how you can get in touch with us there. Always have. And like, you know, we're always tracking folks and stuff, too. We're always talking to people all the time. And I think, you know, even with everything with Zoom now, it makes it easier to connect with people and stuff. So but. Yeah, I would say that too. It's also like we always get questions of like, well, what are you guys looking for at Sundance, like with the festival and like, like as if there's some sort of like some sort of like checklist that people have to hit or something. And, you know, we, we there isn't that at all. Like, so I it, even too, there's always the question of like, well, how much does a normal or like an average Sundance film cost? And it's like, I don't know how to answer that question because you get some stuff where it's like, things that maybe cost like, you know, around a quarter of a million dollars to make, but then we played stuff where it was something that was made for like, and I'm not making this up like $5 in like a Syrian refugee camp and stuff. So it's like, there's no, it's just, just tell a story like with whatever you can. I mean, even if it's just your iPhone, like people are making movies with their iPhones now and it's, there's no, it's not like a shameful thing. It's just, you know, it's, I think in the same way, I think it's almost sort of like, I would imagine, you know, 30 40 years from now people are going to be trying to shoot on iphones because it has some sort of a vintage look that doesn't exist then or something and just in the same way that people are doing stuff with like eight millimeter 16 now and stuff so you know you're like you can make you should just make what you can like with what you have like there's no there's no thing there's no problem with that and i think that's this is what i always say to you it's like if there's not like every story but like if there's a story you want to tell you also shouldn't let like like cost or things like that stop you like you can totally make something again with your iphone or like with somebody's camera and figure out some version of that it doesn't have to be the, the grand scale epic version of it but if you're if you go out and do it like nobody's going to do it other than you so you just need to like do it and figure out like what it is or ask for help and things like that so in indigenous filmmaking right now from what you've been seeing who are some of the, the people that are like really looking great or the movies that we should be looking out for? Yeah, that's a great question. Like, I think I mentioned kind of like all those other filmmakers and people working in TV right now. I do think it's a little bit interesting because I've 
I, in all honesty, I've had a bit of a harder time trying to figure out that question. If, if it's, if you're asking it within the more kind of like immediate, like past year, uh, two years kind of a thing. So I think, and to be honest, I think like the pandemic, which I think is, it's hit everybody pretty hard. And I think we're also like starting to get to the point now where, um, as things were shutting down or like things that were like made right before, like right at the beginning of COVID, I think like as those are starting to come out, I think it's just like sort of a delay. So um, I think also like, again, too, you know, with how I think COVID hit indigenous communities a lot harder than other places, I think you're also kind of seeing that just now. So, but again, though, too, I know people are making stuff. I know people are submitting things to Sundance. It's just in terms of like my radar, especially when it comes to stuff made within the US, it's been a little bit harder to track just because people just haven't been able to make as much stuff. But I think that as things are starting to reopen and stuff, I think I have noticed people are making more things, but it's just like in terms of what the the finished films are right now that I could like point people to that I haven't already mentioned or that are already on people's radars. It's a little bit harder, but I mean, I think, you know, the last thing I, um, I saw in a theater a couple, I actually got to go to the premiere for it here in LA was uh, Prey. Um, so it was cool seeing that in a theater. I know everybody has access to it with Hulu and against you also Jane Myers and Kaz Kip are both the producer, Jane Myers, who's Comanche. She, she was um, an alumni of her program. Same with Kaz Kip as well too. She was from our producers program. And um, so, it, you know, it was great seeing like that film and especially sort of seeing how with how they made it and, and knowing a bit about it and then also just sort of see, getting to see it in a the theater. And I think it's, it's also great that people everywhere are able to access it just on Hulu and sort of like broken all their records for, you know, the, the biggest streaming thing that they've had as well. So again, too, it's, it, it is one of those things where it's like, you know, the pandemic, the pandemic's not necessarily like slowing people down from making stuff, especially indigenous folks. I think it's just more, um, Again, to just like the stuff, I think we're, we're catching up now to the, the point where people are starting to make stuff that wasn't already kind of like where the ball wasn't rolling and stuff before the pandemic, if that makes sense. What are some of the other festivals that you enjoy going to? Yeah, I always, you know, always shout out to Imaginative up in Toronto. They, they always have, you know, every year they're always doing like some of the, um, you know, they're definitely like the hub for Indigenous cinema, I would argue, like um, every year. So I you know, they, they, they took place virtually the last two years, but I know this year they're going to be back in person. So I'm going to be out there. I also got to go to uh, the Cannes Film Festival um, this a couple months ago too in, in France. So that was cool. I'm trying to think of what else. Um, yeah, I would say, I'd say those are kind of some of the ones that I, that I try to go to more often. And also too, there's AFI Fest here in LA, which is another one, but, but yeah, also, yeah. Maori Land's also a cool one. If anyone's been there, it's down in New Zealand. Um, I believe they just happened as well to, um, or just took place this past month or something like that. So, yeah, I think even like uh, there's been a lot of like native film festivals popping up too that would be good to put your films in because you know it is native brand. And then we got the first American Museum. I don't know if they're uh, planning to do any film stuff in Oklahoma. Yeah, we yeah we partnered with them, which is also a thing we we've done. So also like you know anybody listening stay tuned on it but we have um this past year we did what we're what we also call our native shorts tours so uh traditionally it's always been stuff that's been kind of like best of the past few years and like this past year we had five yeah five shorts five indigenous shorts that were at the festival so we put together a program of that it toured for two weeks in june um with different like indigenous like different like native cultural centers and a few like art house uh theaters as well too and different like community centers and um and it, now people are like so it was open and just totally free for people to check out like from those communities it's since like it's since now like also been available to be booked so i know at the end of the month it's going to be playing at the ifc center in new york city um there's a couple other places that it's uh it's getting booked at and stuff like that so it'll be definitely around the fall so you can and again to also check out our website for the uh the upcoming shows and, and where they'll be playing as well too so yeah, and uh, fam, I think we're going to try and plan on some things that are like interactive. I think there's going to be like a something that has like a talk back feature of like some like exploitation film. Um, but there will be also like kind other of exploitation films are you guys playing. Uh, we're still trying to work on some rights, so I don't want to make any announcements on anything. Okay. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. yeah. But, um, no, I, I, I really, yeah, yeah, I got my own thing with like a lot of those. It's like, I think it's a really like, I'm like, 
are they problematic yes right. i think it, there's right. also yeah. like but right. i think that there's also like a lot of stuff that you can like point to that's mm -hmm. like really interesting in those mm -hmm. films and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i have you know i i might be a little bit outside of the mold of i think what people how people like use some of that stuff like where it's definitely i think it's my opinion with some of that is like i mean you can like also not watch them but i think you mm -hmm. can also like approach them with a little bit of nuance and mm -hmm. i think because i think against you there's stuff in those films that you know i think whether it's just the general indigenous image within cinema or like looking at how you know there's certain tropes sort of popped up at mm -hmm. certain points mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's really cool with that but but yeah i think like it's interesting because it's like yeah we never really had something like like black exploitation like there was kind of a few attempts to get something mm -hmm. on that mm -hmm. level and it mm -hmm. totally mm -hmm. didn't totally like cross over with mm -hmm. some stuff but mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also to never it was never like an indigenous person playing the main role or anything like that but it's again it's interesting where it's like cool like there are like native revenge films out there yeah stuff. yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah now i'm yeah. a big fan of like the thunder series like thunder oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah oh i love yeah. that I've... fucking movie man when i was a kid that's all that i watched it has like <laughs> some badass shit yeah and then there's like the billy jack films and, and stuff. billy jack yeah, yeah absolutely yeah there's yeah. one too that i um i've always wanted to see it like i, I heard about it I, I mean i've seen it but i've never seen it theatrically but um out here in la there's the uh the new beverly cinema mm -hmm. which is like uh, Quentin yes. Tarantino's, uh theater right. a lot of the stuff too that they play is also stuff from his like collection but he had a film i don't know if you guys have heard about it called uh johnny firecloud oh yeah and, mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, which that one's like, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of pretty rough stuff in it, but it's like, it's also like when you watch it, it's like the closest that, like, I think we've ever kind of come to having like a, a quote unquote, like, not, not like, not like a 30 years kind of ironic tongue in cheek exploitation thing, but that was like a thing where you watch mm -hmm. it and you're like, yeah, this is the closest thing to kind of like a real grindhouse, like, mm -hmm. whatever the native version of black exploitation film would have, would have been. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's cool stuff. I mean, he's like, you know, throwing, burying guys up to their heads and or like, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. throwing like snakes around there. You know, like, I mean, it's just like yeah. that sort of stuff where it's like mm -hmm. you're there for the kills and it like, it, mm -hmm. it definitely delivers. And it's not like, it's not, it's not doing it in like, it's not, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not meant to be a joke, really. So that's like why it's, it's kind of cool to watch those to, to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing about black exploitation too. I mean, a lot of it wasn't as a joke. It was almost right, like, right. This is what we could afford to make, but make our, you know, our African American people look badass on screen because mm -hmm. no one else is going to pay for this shit. So I, I want my stuff to be out there. And you mm -hmm. know, that's the same, same thing with Billy Jack. That a lot of a generation of that era, and maybe even beyond, who were watching that movie because that was all we had as an mm -hmm. action hero. And so that's what we kind of, you know, we had to watch. Sure, the guy was not Indian who played it, but this Indian dude was a badass, you know. So yeah, that was the only reason. Yeah, like you'd watch that sort of stuff, or it's like, or it's weird because there'd be certain characters like that. Like I did a program recently at at TIFF in Toronto on this, like native characters or like native performers playing roles that weren't mm -hmm. explicitly indigenous, mm -hmm. which is like it's such a weird thing that like I was like, oh yeah, it's weird. Like when you see. When you watch heat and then all of a sudden west duty just pops mm -hmm. up but it's like he's not mentioning what tribe he is or where he comes from or anything mm -hmm. like that it's like he's just a guy with a shotgun and like that you're like yeah it's kind of cool like that he doesn't have to contextualize himself and he's just mm -hmm. kind of part of the action or mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. things like that or like or yeah or it's even like those one thing like i've never totally got but like there's this like the professional the the luke Besson film like mm -hmm. that was like mm -hmm. as a kid that was a movie that like meant a lot to me and like the first guy that gets killed in that movie is an Indian, like, and his name's mm -hmm. actually Tonto, but mm -hmm. it wasn't like an insulting thing or anything. Like, I mean, yeah, sure it is now, but like when I watched it, I wasn't like upset. It was just like one of those things where I was like, oh man, like, why can't that guy like, you know, make it to the end of sort of this massacre that happens when he's like mm -hmm. the first, he gets like shot in the face and like, that's mm -hmm. the, <laughs> the whole thing. So yeah. Yeah. I've always felt that way about Graham Greene. Like it gets so exciting and like die hard. With, yeah. a, uh, with a vengeance yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have to like explain himself at all he's just a working man helping solve yeah. problems in an action film yeah yeah well that was a thing too like um i'm hoping that we will get more to that kind of era mm. and speaking of uh prey amber Midthunder always talked about how she was trying hard not to be pigeonholed into that being a native woman in a movie but just being a woman who happens to be native in a movie
<laughs> are we able to see some of those uh, coming through through Sundance? These kind of films where it's just about people. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. We try to like we're always looking out for them. People just gotta make them. That's all. Like, I mean, I think like one that like definitely pops up to mind. I'd say it was. I don't remember the exact year. It might have been Kelly Reichert's um, Certain Women. Um, so when you watch that, because like Lily Gladstone's in that, you know, she plays like a character, but she just plays a, like. It's like one of those things where it's like if you know she's native, you can read that character as being native, but you don't need to like that. Like there's nothing hinging on that character being native or not. Like it's just this character that like is kind of dealing with their own desire and loneliness. And like that's that's all it is. Like there's no mention of the character being Blackfeet or anything. But you're also like, well, it's taking place in Montana. Is this character Blackfeet? And you're like, yeah, it is because it's Lily Gladstone. But also you're like, but do I need to know that? Like. And I mean, it's it's not to erase indigeneity or anything like that, but it's like the same thing where it's like, you know, if we were to all hang out in the same room together or like if we were just to meet up at a bar or something like the first thing we're not going to talk about is like our ancestry and stuff It's just going to be like, cool. Like, so did you see the game yesterday or whatever? You know what I mean? Or like, what did you see? And like, that's it. And it's like, I, it's it's still really odd that like there's what well, it's like, it's all rooted in sort of like, the, you know, the very roots of early cinema and like where indigenous people came came from within that how all of that was set up where even i think us there's always the the expectation that when you see an indigenous person on screen that like you're expecting them to perform some level of indigeneity to like contextualize who they are or where they come from where again it's like why not just have somebody just like i don't know just making a film about somebody walking their dog and it just happened to be indigenous but they never say it like what's the problem you know, so yeah, and that's a great example because it's like Kelly uh, pretty much doesn't do anything by accident. You know, she's like thinking through those choices. So it's like, it's great to like go into that film and know that like this has been thought about and it's not just accidental. Whereas I think Graham Greene was probably selected because he's a good actor and not because he's like probably an indigenous representative of like Manhattan in Die Hard. You know, so like even though like that's an awesome thing that he's on the screen, Reichardt is, it seems like she's probably thinking yeah this. yeah and i yeah. like i saw there was an interview or it was i read it or i saw it but there was one with lily gladstone where they talk about that where she says that that was a thing like that they didn't talk about that of like kelly record saying like yeah well you're just going to play it play it you know straight and i think there was also something that lily wanted as well too and they were just talking about how it's like you know in its own way it's like it is kind of this radical thing that i think people still haven't really recognized with that film where that it's also by design where it's just like again it's just like just have somebody just play a character and that's totally fine like you know you're not you're not expecting you know a white character to talk about like how their you know irish or italian ancestors came over and like i mean that'd be absurd i mean yeah so that it's just why that expectation is always there is is, is a whole other kind of story and longer history but i'm curious about your own work yeah no i mean like I feel like I'm getting to a place where it's like I've kind of figured out how I want to make films and stuff like that. Like, I I think I am really interested in kind of like my own, not my, I wouldn't say understanding, but like how I, how I kind of interact with my own indigeneity or like my own culture and, and how that translates, whether however consciously or subconsciously to how I make films. So, yeah, I mean, like I've, I've been trying to do stuff that's a bit more out of the box. And I think every time I make something, I try to make something that's like very different from the last thing that I made. So yeah, I, I just got done with this experimental film that was kind of like, if you're familiar with like Stan Brackage's work, it was, I kind of was inspired by um, Garden of Earthly Delights, the, the one he did where it was like flowers and stuff like that. So there's a piece like that where with the, there's a show here at MoCA and I kind of, I did a piece that was on the Tongvo, which is the tribe that's from here and like the original village that LA kind of grew out of was only a few blocks away from the museum so i did a piece that was kind of on that on this like this tree that was there but i did it kind of with all elements on the site and i was pretty happy with it and stuff but it, you know i think it's also like i think the next thing i want to do is like something that's a bit more of like a straight quote-unquote narrative something that you know has, i'm actually working with performers and things like that so because again too it's like i i started making stuff for about a few years before the pandemic and i think I think also the Chi the pandemic was really conducive to a lot of people that were making experimental work because it's like you're already working kind of in in you know isolation and it's kind of just with what you have there. So I think it was a really good time to kind of like hone in on a lot of stuff. 
but yeah, it's like, you know, I've, I've been tinkering with a couple like feature type ideas and I'm really just interested in doing something that either I can just sort of like, I wouldn't say crowdfund, but like something that's, I can shoot something for really cheap just on my own and kind of have total control over it and, you know, decide how it goes out and stuff like that. And I don't know. Yeah. that At least for right now, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, who knows if down the line, like fortune opens up some other kind of door I'm, I'm open for that too. But I think just for now, it's like, I, I do enjoy sort of the, my thing's always been sort of like having a certain level of autonomy over like what I do. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about where, where I'm coming from, I guess. And, and again, too, it's also like, I, I mean, I went to a very traditional film school. I never totally felt like, not that I didn't fit in with the students, but I think in terms of like how film was taught there, it wasn't something that, it was always something that left me like feeling a little bit confused and very sort of like not not totally connected to and i think it, it really wasn't until i started like working with and collaborating with a lot of like my friends from cousin or like people working in experimental film where it's like okay cool like you don't like there are other ways to make films it doesn't have to again be like this straight three-act structure and like things like you know so you can just totally do something the way you want to do it or try to figure it out and i think that's also something that you know i'd always encourage other indigenous filmmakers to do is just to like experiment it, like and not be I don't, you don't have to make like a stand bracket movie just like but i think you got to give yourself like room to fail and stuff like that because i also think which i don't know if you guys talk about this but i think there's always this big thing about like and I'm not saying i'm like this but i know it's a thing out there where it's always like the first indigenous person to do this or the first it's like and there's such a weird pressure that i think we put on ourselves as indigenous people to be like to have these weird sort of arbitrary firsts and like of kind of doing something where it's like well what does that even mean like i mean does that even mean it's good like and even then too it's like what like cool like it's the first indigenous person to do this but like how does it hold up you know so i think that there's i don't know yeah i just think that like indigenous people like and again too it's also because like there's so fewer opportunities in general for us to to make work or like if you have an opportunity there's sort of the the pressure that it has to be more of a home run than like um you know, and it's it's just sort of a scarcity mindset, I think, too, of just sort of it being like, I don't, if I don't use this opportunity, when's the next one going to come around? But I also just think it's like, I think Indigenous people just in terms of like, you know, like in artists and stuff, we just need to like, give ourselves the room and the breathing space to like, make mistakes or to try to experiment, try to find new things and take that time versus always versus trying to like fit into a box or again, sort of like, again, score the home run, which it's great if you want to score the home run. But I mean, also, it's like, nobody does that off the bat so yeah yeah i think that's really interesting and cool that's actually what had been talked about with uh, another host of ours who thinks that if we're really going to make it it'll be that person who makes that feature experimental film that is shown in theaters because that's how you know they're really allowing us to tell our stories <laughs> so do you think that there's a future where that's going to happen do you see it possibility i think so yeah i mean i think if it's like and again this might not make sense in like an american context but it's like it if you look at something like like japanese film but like you know stuff from like the 60s and stuff like that where it's like you kind of have like there were like two paths really for how people were making films there was like kurosawa who was like you know big kind of budget action epics and things like that and like seven samurai all, all the stuff that everybody in the u.s knows and then there's somebody like ozu who was making something that was like explicitly for a Japanese art audience that was, you know, very much formed by like, I guess it's Buddhist or Shinto like ways of thinking and stuff like that, where like when you watch like an Ozu film, it's like, I mean, I like, I watch those films and like, I'm incredibly moved by them, but it's like, I know they're not for me, but I'm still invited as a part of the, the thing. But it's also something that's like very like, I don't know if i'd say proud but like very firmly japanese in terms of how it's made like the camera's you know always three feet above the ground like there's a reason for that and it's like the way that it's shot is like this whole way that's like leaning into like i think certain aspects of japanese culture in terms of like how they view like conversation and things like that where i think you know you have something like kurosawa where it's like in by his own admission it's like his, his films are inspired by like american films and things like that and like that's totally fine but it's like there's those are two different ways of making films and i think like we're getting close to whatever the kurosawa version is or something like that but i think in terms of the ozu thing where it's something where people will look back on and they're like yeah it's cool like again not a competition but it's just like it's cool to have something where somebody could point to something like to what you were saying where it's very explicitly from something that's outside of sort of the 
quote unquote studio system in terms of how people view it and stuff. And it's something for an audience that's not a more mainstream, broader audience and stuff. So, and again, it's just about like building the stage out as much as you can. Cause it's like, everybody's and like, that's also, I guess my theory to the experimental th film thing you were saying is like, I think the only way that's also going to happen is that it, there's going to be somebody at that, like Kurosawa, like bigger level, that's going to like open the door or like, you know, create something that's going to allow one of those other people to get into some, it might not be on the same, the same part of the stage, but it's going to be like something that, you know, or maybe there's a financier that's like, hey, indigenous stuff is really hot right now. Why don't we like take a chance on this guy who's making something totally out of the box? And it's and that's what it is. And so it's like, again, it's everybody's kind of working together, I, I'd like to think. And, you know, something is going to come out of like just what everybody's doing. So, yeah. I think this is really fascinating uh, example of Kurosawa and Ozu uh, just very briefly the Ozu like is dealing with also like a genre that was innate to Japan it's like a genre that didn't translate out of Japan the sort of like family genre and there's sort of like kids going to school that sort of like didn't resonate with a lot of non-Asian yeah. yeah we don't have the same kind of maybe in a yeah, sitcom like the whole drama in those films is like somebody's going to college and like <laughs> but mm -hmm. then it's like but then at the end of the movie you're like bawling because you're like it, you're just feeling like how sad this like mom or dad is <laughs> like to see their kid go off so but but then also like just thinking about like having the 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 studio film and then an independent work that we kind of have that this year almost like prey you know is not theatrical yet but you know prey a studio picture a studio uh, producer in a in a very lead role, having a great influence on the sort of like the authenticity of the material from an indigenous perspective, and then almost we could almost say that it's like an indigenous actor in a role that's inconsequential of the indigenous background for a lot of audience members, and and then just uh, like I saw that the same week that I saw a screening of Rock Bottom Riser, right? So like. A 16 millimeter print in a museum, a big screen, you know, like 30 people in the audience um, has indigenous identity sprinkled through the material. I feel like there's a little bit of indigenous um, thought process about, you know, volcanoes and sort of, you know, thinking about Hawaii, but then also Sky Hupinka, right, is part of like the process of the sound design. And he's tangential to all of this. And it's like, if his, if his work is, has an influence on this particular audience now as just an editor or sound in, in sound, like it's only, you know, films away where that same audience is going to watch, you know, Malna, for example, in that same theater. It's not that far a leap almost. It feels like we are at a great spot right now where we can almost, you know, fulfill that dream. We just need to make sure that there are people to like, you know, yeah, no, totally. Continue to it's support. Funny. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that too, because it was like a, almost about a year ago. I was actually hanging out with. Uh, I saw Sky the other weekend. We, we went. We had this thing we were doing in New York, but like a year ago, he was out here in LA with Fern Silva, the director of Rock Bottom. Was with, like they were just going on a road trip together, so it's kind of cool, just like hanging out with them and stuff. But yeah, it's um, yeah. Again, it's like I think it's just something where it's like again it's not to say like one is better than the other or anything like that there's just like a, it's like the same way where it's like i think the the idea that like somehow indigenous audiences or even artists are some kind of like a monolith where it's like it sh like sure a lot of us like the same things but it's like why not have somebody make something that is like you know where a reviewer wouldn't even know how to describe it like they're like i don't know what i'm looking at versus something where it's like you know it's spread out over like you know 15 episodes on some major network or something like that and this is like there's no right or wrong way to do it it's just it's i i think that's the thing i always wish is just like that indigenous audiences and not, not even necessarily just audiences but even that artists like that were like um you know adventurous enough and open enough to like kind of again sort of expand the stage and to just you know make something that's that's for everybody so so the news broke today about Sashin Littlefeather and the apology. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't involved in that at all. But <laughs> I, uh, Just your no, initial it, feelings about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of actually, like, I knew about it a little bit before it happened because, uh, again, like, Bird, Running Water, previous director, he was, he was very sort of instrumental in a lot of that happening. They had actually talked to me. There was a, a podcast that they did. I, they ended up cutting me from it, but, like, there was a, a podcast where they had interviewed me at the Academy Museum where I talked about that a little bit. And 
Um, and also too, ironically enough, I, I'm actually, I, today I was just reading this book called Conversations with Marlon Brando. And it's like by Lawrence Grobel, but it's like, it's interesting too, because like reading that book, it, it made what happened today seem even like there was more, I don't know, it gave, I I, I guess like I've also been re- like thinking a lot about that time period too. And I think also just like knowing all the stuff with Sushin Littlefeather and, and Brando as well too, like, in, and even like, I, like I found out in this book, which was crazy, but like. So there's this book where it was the whole it's a it's a this really long interview this 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 guy did with um Marlon Brando for Playboy. And there was this whole crazy thing where he was like haggling with Brando for like however many months. And then like Brando finally said, Okay, cool, like we'll do it, but on the condition that like if you come out here, we're only gonna be talking about like American Indians and their struggle. So like flew him out to his island out in Tahiti and like he had this guy there for like I don't know however many weeks where they were just like talking about this stuff but also part of it was and this was a crazy thing I found out about this like I and I don't know why anybody I've I've never really heard people talk about it because Russell Means also brings it up in his autobiography but and I don't remember the exact incident but Russell Means and a few of the other AIM activists um had gotten in jail and Marlon Brando because I think he didn't have the cash he hit up uh, Hugh Hefner and asked him to um, to essentially like post bond for all of these um, these guys so he did it and so essentially like Brando was doing and like Brando never did interviews so he was kind of doing it to like pay back like Hugh Hefner and again too there's the whole like Hugh Hefner is, is a whole other can of worms and stuff that we don't need to get it. it's not about patting Hugh Hefner on the back but it was like this crazy thing of like thinking even how like Brando was had a real investment despite his who he's another can of worms but like had a, another kind of investment in just sort of like advocating for indigenous people which also like led to the whole sashin little feather and and it's interesting too because even in like the interview like they start asking questions and he's like well i'm not like I, i'm not american indian i can't answer these questions like you just need to go to these places or go talk to these people but people will like if i say something or if i like provide a platform for people like with because people want to talk to me, like, I'm happy to do that. And so, like, so again, with this Sushin Littlefeather thing, it was just kind of even hearing her version of the story on the Academy Museum podcast. It's kind of like this is the blend of all that, where it's like, it's this weird sort of thing of like, if you want to call it like right place, right time. Um, and even in terms of like, and this is my my thing too, it's like there have been other Oscar wins that have had an impact in the real world. But I I, I would also probably argue that the the thing that happened with Sushin Littlefeather was the one that like led to a very measurable difference afterwards because of the media blackout with what was going on with Moon and like it essentially forced everybody to like look to it because it was brought up again at such a high level and yeah I think it's you know I, I was thinking about that a lot recently too even just sort of like her own mistreatment and stuff after that and uh you know, I mean, she tried to do some film stuff as well, too. It didn't totally pan out. But, you know, I, I think just seeing how she was harassed and I, I think even like which is, I, I thought about that, too, even when I was a kid, when I found out, like when I saw that clip for the first time, like it was like for me, it was kind of this like shocking thing because I was like, I don't these are like two different things of like my existence that I don't like I would never like put together, but also like why not? And then like thinking about why both. Brando and Sashin Littlefeather kind of like built up towards that and what was going on at the time. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting because it's like, you, you know, there's only, there's only so much, you can't like make up for everything in the past, but I think if anything, it's like a step forward for hopefully for a lot of change going forward and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's crazy to think that it's like, that was 50 years ago and we're at where we're at now, which is, it, it's no small feat or anything like that, but just like how it's not, this isn't like ancient history, you know, this is still very much in like living memory <laughs> and, you know, it's in an archive now. And like, there's a whole thing at their museum. That's just about like Sashin Littlefeather and stuff. So, so yeah, so I, I think it, it definitely, it makes me hopeful for a lot of, a lot of things, like hopefully seeing that there's like some type of change that's happening, you know, regardless of whatever the intentions behind it might be in terms of like the long run, but um, I do think like what's going on, what what it sets the precedent for later on is like what I'm I'm really curious about because again too, and I think th- I think it did also make me like kind of really happy to to think that she's like alive to see this versus it being something where it's like cool this person's been dead for fifty years so like it, like it's kind of like the Jim Thorpe medal return thing where it's like okay great but it's like he's like 
I don't I don't know who this helps, <laughs> you know, but I think it's it's definitely something meaningful where you can connect it to the person who experienced all of that and stuff. So, yeah. For those who may not know what you're talking about, could you give us a little more uh, background of, of what's going on? Oh, on Twitter, Bird announced that I guess the Academy has issued a formal apology to Sashin Littlefeather and is planning a screening. Is it what what was it's like a, a they'll have like kind of a conversation with her and stuff where I think they like I th from what I understand, I think they're like sort of I know she's already received the apology, like an actual like formal letter. But I think that they're doing like a, you know, I, I don't know if I'd say a ceremony, but like something where it's like a bit more formal and and open so um but i think yeah that's in september like once i saw that i was like i'm getting my tickets to that right now <laughs> right? So, awesome. yeah yeah i always thought that even just that moment where sashin Littlefeather comes and speaks up for natives and the mistreatment of natives at the academy awards that story itself and what happens and how it led up to it i always thought that's a that's a film that needs to be made because that was important it was like really big for us. I don't think I was alive at the time, but you know, seeing the 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 clips and hearing people talk about it, I always thought that was like a very inspirational thing. And I know they talked about it a little bit on the documentary Real Engine. And so I think that this is something that's really a big deal, right? It's really great that that we have acknowledgement of who our who our heroes are, okay? Or whatever you want to call it, and and what they're what they've done for us, and and that the system has mistreated probably not just her but others, you know, and that we need to acknowledge what what those things are. Yeah, well, no, totally. It's like it's, that was yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, you know, Hollywood is responsible for so many of the stereotypes that we're fighting against. And it's interesting too, because even in that book, like, you know, because I I think there was like a lot of questions around like why did Brandon just not go up and do that and stuff? And it wouldn't have had the same impact, I think. And it's interesting too, because he even says that too, where he's just like, for him, you know, being this white dude from Nebraska, how he sort of found, he, when, once everything kind of clicked for him, where he just was like, yeah, he's like, you know, this has been Hollywood's bread and butter from the beginning. <laughs> so it's like, why not call it out? Like, it just seemed absurd to, to him as well too just because he was like yeah this like why are we doing all this while this other stuff's going on and and you know i think it's like it's that's sort of the course that at least with stuff within you know a larger popular culture for it to come around which is i think unfortunate but but yeah it's i think it's it, it, yeah it's just it's like one of those things where it's like i never i wasn't like expecting something like that to ever happen like i, I don't know if i was even necessarily like looking for it but i think it's like it is one of those things where you know you kind of like it it I mean, you'd be like the coldest of cold hearted if you were like, you know, seeing this native woman finally being like apologized to for this whole thing, like having endured all that she did and stuff like that after that and just made sort of into a constant, you know, joke within popular culture and stuff too. And, you know, hopefully things are changing and stuff. So I don't know. For me, again, too, it's like one of those things where I'm like, I, it's, you know, it doesn't fix what happened, but it's like one of those things where it's like maybe there's, another possibility for something down the road so any follow-ups adam of anything that you like to tell us what's going on anything that we should be looking forward to with sundance or uh any messages for people who are filmmakers future filmmakers so on and so forth what it means to be a new generation of filmmakers and what it means to be a generation now of filmmakers anything that you like to add or talk about it within that no, like I would just say, check out our, our website, you know, what we always announce and the same thing with like our, our social media handles with Sundance, like we always announce sort of like when we have upcoming um, opportunities that are available. But yeah, definitely, if you're working on something, or if you, you have a, a film that you're currently working on, like that's, you know, close to being in the can or whatever, like definitely reach out to us. We're always happy to, to talk and to connect with people. So cool. And, and so like that's in progress films, not just completed films that you, you guys are willing to look at? Any films, that's fine. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for popping on and talking to us and giving your time to us and like, you know, all the programs that we have that's going on with Sundance and everything that's, you know, really helping out with indigenous peoples and indigenous populations, filmmakers and all that, because it's one of the, what do you want to call it, premier programs that was in the forefront of accepting indigenous films. And I'm glad that you're continuing that legacy of getting our stories out there. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Glad I'm glad to do it. It's my honor. So. All right, Dan. We appreciate you, uh, Sunrise Angela. Got anything else to, to say or ask? Well, all I can say is I admire you a lot for having screened how many ten thousand shorts. Uh, I I just do like I, th even this year. I'm kind of taking a, a bit of a step back, but it it was usually the thirteen hundred to fifteen hundred range. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did a few screeners for Dead Center, and I was, you know, after a week, I was like, okay, I need a break. <laughs> yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Adam, for your time and your efforts and your uh, continued in um, work, advocacy, artistic. I'm very excited to see what happens. I also uh, want to say that I just admire the fact that you've got an Inland Empire poster in your room. I think that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I know that was from. Uh... Yeah, I'll, I'll say it in here. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to come knocking down my door or anything. But yeah, no, it was like that was actually from my uh, my time at uh, at LACMA. There was, um, I guess, David Lynch had done a screening of it back when it came out. So he, it's actually signed and stuff too. But he, um, yeah, it was it was going to be part of the stuff when they were tearing down the theater that was not going to survive the move to storage. So I was like, I am absolutely taking this home. So <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely it's it's on it's one of the trophies of the the, the office. So yeah. Well great great job for rescuing that. Jeez. For reals, for reals. All right man, well thanks a lot. Filmmakers out there, grab your camera phones, your VHS video cameras and whatever else you got out there that's available. Make some movies, get them to add them and and hopefully we'll we'll see them playing on the big screen somewhere or in some film festivals or on at Sundance. Does Sundance Channel do uh, anything with uh, indigenous films, like any kind of program? Uh, that's a good question. I don't, they're actually like a separate entity. I mean, we're okay. kind of under the same umbrella, but yeah, if they do, I mean, they don't come to us to ask. <laughs> so it's like, it's probably just to the artists. So. Um, but yeah, definitely check them out though too. I mean, they, they, they're always playing playing stuff there, so. But but you do program for um, the Criterion Channel, right? Like so, like that. No. Also, no, you don't. No. no. no? Oh, that's no, no. well. You should. <laughs> I no, I don't. I, I mean, I know all those folks there. They're all they're all great people. They're all good friends and stuff. So. Yeah. So we want to say Kiana Pak to our special guest Adam Perrin, and Kiana Pak for listening. Remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real and digital.